With small business federal spending goals on the rise, it seems like a good time for small and disadvantaged companies to make a shot at federal business. An incubator called Hutch, based in Baltimore, Maryland, seeks to develop minority and women-owned technical services companies. Here with more, Hutch founder Dalali Jarasa. Mr. Jarasa, good to have you on. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Tom. And tell us what you mean by incubator. That is to say, are you simply investing in companies? Or from what I've seen of your materials, it looks like you also help them establish themselves operationally. Yeah, that's that's correct. So Hutch, is a, it's a two-year incubator. And so it's a full-bledged, consider it uh, like a master's program. I mean, they've got pre-work, classwork, homework as they're moving through the process. And you're, you're exactly right. It's more about how do we provide them kind of the educational foundation of how to do business within this within this market in general, as well as coaching. And so we've pretty much unpacked our playbook at Fearless and how we how we do business. And so, for example, today we have to have a hut session today, and they're doing a business development deep dive. But our chief growth officer is teaching them about how we do BD, how this is done in the market. Uh, when they get to brand and marketing, our chief our marketing officer goes in and is teaching them. And so they're getting capability, they're getting templates, and it really helps to accelerate the growth in the market. And so we have that in addition to kind of precision-based coaching as they need things. We've got a number of partners that come in and give them support as they need it. And you mentioned Fearless. That's a company that you started that is a services contractor to the federal government, That's correct. correct? That's correct. That's correct. And this whole area of data management and IT, is that pretty much the domain you're operating in? Yeah. So Fearless is a digital services company. And uh, and, and the best way I can, I can describe a digital services company, it's a sub-market of the traditional kind of government, you know, IT market space. And so traditionally you've got, you know, the beltway bandits, the people that have been doing this for day in and day out. And you've got this small sub-market that really says, how do we get companies that kind of look and feel like these West Coast type companies to want to do business with government? And so folks that have a very strong uh, acumen around human-centered design, uh, around how you build and scale applications as you would in the commercial space, um, how do you attract them to do business uh, within within our government? So uh, it's a growing space. We've learned a lot, quite a lot over the over the years. And so Hutch is really our ability to now impart that knowledge and, and help people do it better, faster, uh, more efficient than we are. And is Hutch in the capital supply business or simply the human capital supply business? Human capital business. And so for them, what, what we, we really talk about is a re- return on time, right? So you have founders that are new in the market, right? And they may be someone that's uh, exiting or transitioning out of government. It may be someone that's been in another company and is thinking about jumping out. Um, how do we get them the tools and the resources in order to be successful uh, within within this marketplace? And so for us, it's very much so a time investment that we put in them over the course of the two years. What about the raw material, people, women, minorities that besides wanting to do business with the federal government, they have to have the basic technical chops in digital services, which is a lot of technologies and specific types of technical steps. Where are they getting their education and knowledge such yeah. that they're prepared at a baseline to be able to That's go right. after federal contracts. That's right. So the expectation of Hutch when you come in is that you've got the technical acumen in your particular domain. And our companies span the gamut. We've got about 20 in our portfolio today, and we've got you know, cybersecurity companies. We've got data analytics companies and data science companies. We've got design companies. We've got engineering and DevOps and cloud-based firms that are in the portfolio as well. But all of them have that expertise, right? We're expecting that they come in with an expertise in their space. What they may not have is some of the business fundamentals. What they may not have as well is the ability to navigate and understand how to navigate government. And so we can add those onto uh, people that are already very talented, technical professionals, very smart individuals. They just aren't sure which way to run. So we can give them the path and where to go. And, and once they get that, 
uh, we find they're really off to the races. And when you say there are 20 companies kind of in your ecosystem, what does that mean? Do you have a position in them or are they independent companies and they're just clients of Hutch? That's right. They're they're independent. And so each year we do an intake um, and we bring them in, in in a cohort. We always have two classes running concurrent. One in their second year and one in their one in their first year. We don't take a position in these in these companies. We train them, we coach them, we mentor them. We do business with with plenty of these companies as they're popping out. But that's really the that's really the value add, right? That we now they have a paying customer, right? For many of them, we may be their first customer, but we teach them if we're their only customer, you're gonna fail, right? So how do you go out there and you position yourself in the market? I'd say one of the biggest value adds that we've seen in the program is not just the information they get. We know we've done a good job if we can get that cohort to become an actual cohort, right, and connected to one another. Our first class graduated in 2019. They still meet together. Program's over. They still meet together every single week, and they're talking and supporting each other. And so there's such a high percentage of companies that fail within the first years. And so to have that network of folks that you can, like, travel with and to work with and and, and support is huge. And so each cohort that comes in, their network gets exponentially bigger, right? They're teaming together, they're partnering together, and really, really transforming the way we're thinking about how we do business. We are speaking with Dalali Jarasa. He's founder and president of Hutch, which grew out of his other company called Fearless. And what evidence do you have that they're actually getting federal contracts once they graduate? We track their revenue. They submit those. Um, they submit that data to us. They submit their headcount. And so, on average, a couple of years out of Hutch, I mean, they've grown six to eight x all of them um, across the board. And so, it's it's been a huge value add when we look at them compared to folks that aren't uh, in the program. So, when we talk about this return on time, um, we see it. It is very evident. We're seeing their deals. We're seeing their communication. We're seeing them partnering and they're priming things and supporting each other. Um, we're seeing them support us us on deals. We're seeing us back them on deals. And so, we see the activity. Uh, day in and day out. And what about the idea of whether they should choose between subcontracting because there's no end of Lockheeds and the Booz Allens and the and the uh, Deloitte's needing small business and technically minded subcontractors versus going for that prime contract yourself. It's it's both. It's not an either or. Uh, it's both. Ultimately, what we teach a lot of, in fact, what the session today is on business development is, and we call it authentic BD here. It is about how do we add value? This isn't about give me a contract, give me a deal, give me some money, right? It's what is your problem? How do we add value to that, right? In some scenarios, the, the customer may get the most value if you're out front and you can build a team that supports that. In other areas, it may not be the case. And so you, you, you need to understand each deal is a little bit different, but they learn both. For many people that are just starting, if they're brand new to business and they span the gamut, right? We have some that it's their first year business, some that have been in business for, let's say, four or five years. The longest has been, I think, in business for 10 years doing commercial and they want to do government. So they're coming from different places. If they're new in business, what we suggest is something because they need the iterations of, okay, can I get my invoice out on time? Can I do all the back office processes? Like, do I know how to recruit someone? Can I turn on their benefits, right? Those things, get those reps in now. You have to learn and understand how that how that side of the business works. And then now add another layer and like learn how to prime and learn how to manage other 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 contractors and other vendors as you're as you're building a team. But it's the muscle memory. So it really depends on where they are and what we recommend at each stage. And is part of the training on which vehicles to choose, the CIOSPs, the Alliance Small Business and GSA schedules and so on, because that's often a great amplifier of the ability to get a contract is to be in the right vehicles. That's correct. It is part of it. We have them look at it in starting off, pick a focus, right? And, and it's really easy to wake up and become this body shop. At Fearless, we talk about this idea of being this purple cow that is remarkable and it's different. And it doesn't look like all the millions of brown cows you've seen before. And how do you do that? 
a lot of that is, is adding real value. It's really hard to add value. You're starting off, you're less than 10 people, and all of a sudden you're a subject matter expert on every single agency and every single domain. It just doesn't work that way. And so we, we, we really have them hone in and focus. Is there a particular domain? Is it healthcare? Is it defense? Is it so-and-so? And then go going to what is the agency that you really think you can go in very, very deeply and provide a lot of technical understanding and domain expertise and then add value over time. Once you've done that, you get to add the second. Once you've done that, you get to add the third. And so there's a, there's an extreme sense of focus that we ask them to bring as they think about building a brand, not a firm, a brand, which is much bigger and will outlast them. And when you look at the area of cybersecurity, a lot of the military agencies, and I think to some extent certain civilian agencies have done outreach to historically black colleges and universities, minority dominant universities, to try to get them to develop talent in these technical areas. Are you seeing that actually pay off as people come up through these these institutions ready to do this type of work and, and now need that training for direct federal contracting? I think so, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, we talk about the federal government, billions of dollars on, on IT spend, and every company that I know of in this market has openings that they can't fill. And so this market is in a desperate need for talent. And, and, and if we're going to be serious about competing as a country, right, when you look at the Chinas, when you look at the Indians, we look at the Russians, right, all these other places, they're trying to fuel their, their entire populations. And we uh, tend to overlook so many segments of our population that aren't in the workforce, don't have the correct skill sets. And so ultimately, if we don't do this and make a serious investment, we hurt all of us, right? All of us um, are all, we've got part of the table stakes here. And you're located in Baltimore, which is a city yeah, that is right. both a great city and a city with terrible issues of poverty and crime and so forth. Sure. How does that inform your work? I'm inspired, right? I think Baltimore ha- is an interesting tale of people often call the tale of two cities. And, you know, you've got a space that has, as you mentioned, issues with poverty. People often often think of the wire, you know, when they when they when they think of Baltimore. It, it is also a place that is got the home of you know the, the, one of some of the best hospitals in the world that are in within within this environment. We're such we've got a such an interesting location, especially when we think about federal in general. We're pretty much in between Fort Meade, which houses DISA Cyber Command, NSA, as well as Aberdeen Proving Grounds. We're right in the middle of that. We've got again this amazing a healthcare apparatus that's here, as well as the commercial and financial sectors that are here. And so there is a melting pot and a blending of different industries that happens here in, in the area that's got very low cost of living in a way that you just don't see. What I often tell people is Baltimore has challenges, yes, but where else would you go to want to do your best work? If you care about impact, if you care about making a difference, if you care about helping to transform this planet for the better, why not come to Baltimore? Baltimore is the place where you can do this impactful work in a way that it will scale and provide meaning. Our mission at Fearless is to build software with the soul. And, and our vision is to create a world where good software powers things that matter. And so we talk about education and healthcare and social justice and all of these things. They deserve the same tech that is powering cars that drive themselves. And, and so with that in mind, this is the place where you do that work. Right. This is the place where you come where you want to make that impact and, and, and they will receive it here and be, be appreciative. Dalali Jarasa is founder and president of Hutch. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, 
beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her. I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there are so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so I, you know, I think my 
my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature.